Okay, we apologize for the technical delay. Malachim Beis. Let's go back to Paragia Dalid Pasuk Yates. We saw that Amatio was punished. The Avodah involved for the performance with Edom beforehand. They rebelled against him. He put up quite a fight in Lachish 15 years. Ultimately, they killed him. And then they gave him full honors at the David. To notice how. The really rotten kings, they put him somewhere in Yushalayim. They didn't put him with the direct line of David in Ir David, which means he at least uh, had the distinction of being buried in the right place. And as we have explained, he was basically among the better kings, made some serious mistakes as opposed to the Risham Gemurim who didn't have this final covet. During his lifetime, his son, Azayo, also more famously known to us as Uzziah, Uzzah, and he will uh, take over, not officially, but for the 15 years that his father was holed up in, held up in this city as they were attacking, trying to break into the city. They finally succeeded 15 years later in Lachish. They allowed his son, probably prodded his son, probably elected his son, to run the country in Yushalayim. Uh, quite an unusual circumstance, uh, ironically enough, probably not coincidental. This uh, same uh, context of the uh, Amelach who's officially alive and the son sort of takes over will repeat itself with Uzzah himself and his son, as we will get to. There's a big tumult here in the Mepharshim, the dating system over here, but many held that he was actually ruling for 15 years after he was appointed at 16, and then he takes over fully when his father is killed. Ubana es Elas, I don't know if it's the exact same place, but the city of Elat today, somewhere near the water. This is an interesting Lushan. He conquered the city and brought it back under Yehuda's jurisdiction after his father was killed. If you look at Rashi, Interestingly enough, he was king, and he was king for 15 years, basically running the country, but he didn't succeed in this conquest till after his father was no longer here. Is that because Minashamayim didn't allow him to have it, or because he didn't want to make the move because he felt it was a chutzpah toward his father? He's running the country, but he doesn't want to do things that are not absolutely necessary right now in deference to his father. Could be Zeva Zegar. Rashi says, 
if it was not true that he ruled in his father's lifetime, why would it point out that he conquered the city after his father died? The answer is he was running the country, the day-to-day affairs, and after his father died, then he made the big move to actually make a significant conquest. And it was uh, significant to the Shailah. Today in the modern Israeli city of Eilat, there isn't Bechual Eretz Yisrael. They take off Shum Samais without a bracha there. So, Shailah is... Is it in the same place or not? It's uh, unlikely it is if the Elat today is not Chayv and Shumas Amaisis, and this is part of Eretz Yisrael, unless they conquered it as a buffer zone. But the two don't have to be in the same place, not absolutely necessary. And sometimes they just name the city after the uh, biblical one. Pasik Chav Dalin. Actually, Chav Gimel. Bishnas Chameshes Veishan Lamatziel Ben Yayesh, Melech Yehuda, Melech Yerava, Ben Yayesh. We always try to contrast the Melech Yehuda and the Melech Yisrael to get a bearing show where we're holding and to contrast the accomplishments or lack thereof. And when he fully takes over, we have here Yeruvim ben Yayash. Again, the name is very significant here. Yayash's father named him Yeruvim. Not a name that we would be proud of, a name that they were very proud of. Because they looked at Yeruvim as the original king who started the rebellion and made the Aserah Seshvatim what they are today, which is nothing to write home about, but that's not the way they saw it. And interestingly enough, as we will explain at length, Yeruvim, who was regular, run-of-the-mill, Ovin of Arazar, and Chaiti Amachti Yisarab, not as bad perhaps as Ahab, and certainly not as bad as the original Yeruvim, the first, but he wasn't a great guy. With all that said, we're going to have a couple of good things to say about him. As bad kings go in the Ersesashvatim, he wasn't from the worst of them. I know that sounds strange, but we're going to have to um, give, give me a few weeks to explain what I mean by that. Everything is always in context or in contrast to who you're standing next to in life. Yerav men yayash melech Yisrael b'shemrem abayim v'achashan. On the first hint over here, is that his reign is 41 years. It's about as long as it gets. It's a halodavrahu. That doesn't necessarily yet tell us he was a good guy, which he wasn't, but he certainly had some schus, and in Shemayim they were trying to give the Esar Sashvatim some last chance to see the Chazdei Hashem, the Rachamei Hashem. Hashem tries many different Angles, Kaviyocho, we spoke about the carrot and the stick, and then the carrot again, and the stick again. Well, this is one long carrot. 41 years of a very stable kingdom. Not only stable, he's going to accomplish a lot in terms of expanding the kingdom and giving strength to Klai Yisrael. And all this is to give them a chance to see that Hashem is really with them and perhaps they should do tshuva. Yeah, but the original Yeruvim, we know, started off as a tzaddik and uh, ruined everything. Here, now before you get carried away with the optimistic view of the silver lining of what, what was, I'm really trying to describe to you what could be. The next Pasuk says, pretty unequivocally, Chavdalavayas hara be'ine Hashem. Okay, a little hard to explain that away very easily. Losar mikochatis Yeruvim menavat. And of course the Pasuk picks his namesake. He didn't get rid of the Agolim. He didn't get rid of the other forms of Odazar around. Lassar, Mikol Chatis, Yerob Menavot, Asher, Hechati, Es Yisrael. 
And despite all that, Pasuk Chavhei says, Hu heishiv es gvul Yisrael milavoy chamas ad yam ha'arava. Not only did he succeed in a material, physical, strategic sense, he conquered more of Eretz Yisrael than any other king before. Hashem is not only giving them a reprieve, He's giving them more power than they ever had and ever will have. That's the Dead Sea. There was an Avua in the backdrop here, which we're going to have to explain because we didn't have a Pusik for this. But the Pusik is telling us, Kedvar Hashem, there was an Avua from Yena, the famous Yena. Yena ben Amitai, Anavi, Asher, Migasa, Chefer. And this Navua was that you're going to be a very strong, capable leader, and you're going to restore the honor of Klaisol, expand the boundaries, and have a very strong military imprint and everything going on in the Middle East. Not only that, he was a nice enough guy, I will document this, nice enough fellow that he actually helped Yehuda. We're contrasting the two kings. It was either a, a cold peace, sometimes an open war, and once in a while cooperation. This is one of those kufas is actually going to be cooperation. And this contrast over here back in Chav Gimel between the son of Amatziel and now the son of Yeyesh, Yeravam and Uziah, they're actually going to get along to the extent that he's going to extend his hand, not only in peace, but in actual cooperation, strategic cooperation. And he's going to conquer so much, he's going to give some back to Yehuda. You would think whatever he takes is going to be added to the kingdom of the Ersesashvatim. Uh, we're going to see later, he's going to add some cities to Yehuda as well. So he's interested in expanding the greater Eretz Yisrael for all Jews, whether they are Seres Shvatim or Yehuda. Which, for Pasuk it says, Yasser Rabbein Hashem, as I mentioned, he's not from the worst of them. Yeah? Could that be the reason for the Chesed and Rachman that they're supposed to show because it was Achtus? Yes, Achtus not only always helps, but is uh, necessary. But there is a a different uh, agenda here. That Without that, it probably wouldn't have worked as well. So you're correct. The agenda over here, as we will uh, see from the various Midrashim, is that, unfortunately, this is the last opportunity for their Sashvatim to make good on recognizing the Rachamei Hashem and doing tshuva. And since it's the last, the Kosh Baruch is going to give them a very, very positive view from above of what uh, easily, of course, HaKadosh Baruch is capable of, of giving them all the power and uh, material goods and, and booming economy that they can ever need, which is the original promise of HaKadosh uh, Baruch of the Klai Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. And you guys better wake up. And you'll say, you're all sitting there in your seats, how can they not take this wonderful opportunity of economic gain and uh, tremendous fortune by Olam and power? How can they not wake up? I'll say this delicately, very delicately. You don't want to, in this, as much as we try to bring this up to date to current events, we don't want to be chasashalom even insinuating a kitrug. But uh, there is only one time I can think of where Klai Yisrael was showered with more material good and freedom and power in conditions where not everybody necessarily deserved it. It was not even, but you didn't even have right people from. That people doing Avodah and that's like from the years uh, 1946 to 2017, Limisbar. So this is a, I'm trying to say this in a positive way. 
that uh, it's an opportunity, it's not to be taken of, oh sure, this is very normal for Gullus. So the opportunity has to bring with it a, a sense of achrayas, a responsibility that this is not normal, and Akash Baruch has to be giving this to us to wake us up and help us uh, a, be makar of uh, the other ones to the extent that we can, and uh, use this to usher in the gula, and the Midrashim, Pekat it says quite clearly the three Zmanim in history where Akash Baruch gave tremendous power and material goods. Abraham Avinu, when he was first being Makar of the world to bring out Yachtus Hashem, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Bezus Mitzrayim, when we started, as a startup nation, so to speak, and before the Gula Shleima, when we need to fix things up and we need the ability to do it, and if we're getting clopped with pogroms and holocaust, it's going to be a little hard to do. So that's all the good news. The good news on top of that is you've got to take it and run with it not run the other way. So here we have an opportunity where the Pusik starts off telling us he's a Russian Musha and Yasa Rabbani Hashem, and then it tells us about the wonderful accomplishments that he had in expanding the boundaries to something they'd never seen before. And the Pusik Chavav, the next Pusik we're going to read, makes it quite clear uh, why this is being done, uh, not to... Uh, take away from the point that you're making that, yes, you need the Yachtas to do this as well. And he himself recognized the Yad Hashem. You can, uh, funny thing about all of Navi, all of Malachim, Aleph, and Beis, you can be an Ovid of Azar and still claim you believe in Hashem. And in their mind, it certainly wasn't a stira, and on some levels, it wasn't an absolute stira. So he understood that as a king, he's supposed to be acting on behalf of the Jewish people, and it's an opportunity to make Yachtas and to help them and help us. And the Pusik tells us the real reason. He came at a time when Klai Yisrael severely oppressed down and out in a bad way. I'm talking in terms of their Gashmias, in terms of their security. It's a time when they had absolutely nothing left, just from the economic standpoint. There was no money, there was no economy, they couldn't move around. The, the Goyim around them had so many opportunities for terrorist attacks and uh, burning down farms and supplies. Uh, they were running out of food and cattle. Efes Otzer. Otzer means the uh, supplies in the house and in the silos. The Efes Azov. Azov means the things left in the field, the cattle, which means they had no money. The, the money then was in the food and the, and the uh, farm. And if the cattle wasn't there, and they couldn't help themselves because the army was uh, defenseless. This is where Yeruvim comes on the scene and is given the ability to rebuild everything. Vladibur, and it was almost the end. And the only reason Akash Baruch Hu stepped in is because Akash Baruch has a promise that Klai Yisrael will never, ever disappear. And it was so bad they were about to. So is most of Klai Yisrael. And Yehuda wasn't that much better. And the Mashiach over here, I don't want to call him the Mashiach because he wasn't. And he didn't take the opportunity, but he was the Mashiach, the temporary Mashiach to save Klai Yisrael and rebuild. And we're going to go back to this Pesach in a moment. Let's just see Chavches. Yes, Interesting, for an introduction that tells you all about these wonderful accomplishments, you'd think we'd have a little more about all the Gavaldic things that were going on. The Pusik signs off already because he didn't really take the opportunity. There's your hint. He 
had conquests where after he came home victorious, he would call up the Melech Yehuda and say, I have a present for you. And he returned it to Yehuda. He put it under their jurisdiction. You can look it up in the Chronicles of the Kings. They kept their own chronicles. It doesn't belong in Malachim because at that point it was all very nice, but he didn't capitalize on the opportunity. And then he died. Unfortunately, from Zechariah forward, it's going to go downhill, spiraling very, very quickly after a very stable reign. He was given 41 years to turn this around. And it didn't work. And we have a lot to say on that. Let me give out some of the Marmachemis. Let's start with this one. problem is, throughout this uh, long era, there were many Jews, even in the who got up, went to the Ashkama Minyan, full laning, and uh, Kiddush afterwards, and then went to the base of Al-Azhar. And they did that on Tuesday also, not just on Shabbos. The problem is, uh, all of Al-Azhar is a Chiyoskila. What you mean, just to de- defend your question, is that if you have people only still paying their tribute to the original Golem of Yerovam, that was so entrenched they felt that was almost like the patriotic duty of the Aserah Sashvatim, the symbol of the tribe. They didn't even look at it necessarily as of Azar, which it was. Problem is, is that that wasn't limited at this point to the original Golem of Yerovam. The Pasuk does say he didn't get rid of them, but we don't have a raya that he didn't at least maintain the Avarazars that were developed afterwards. Not all of them. Some of them were obliterated, Baruch Hashem. Like after Beis Acha was wiped out, they wiped out Meluch. Some of them were gone, but they had, it, it, it sounds like besides the Agolim, they had regular run of the mill of Adazar, and it didn't help too much that it wasn't Meluch, it was Meluch, it was a Chi of Skila. So, it doesn't help that if, if someone, you know, I know it's awesome, but if someone's saying, you know, Hashem, you're great, and stars, you're also so great. That's a, it's a chiv skila. Is it better than a person who doesn't recognize Hashem? Perhaps, but it doesn't help over here because if this isn't fixed up, they're going into Gullus and this is the last chance. They're not going into Gullus right after this peric, but from here it's going to go uh, very quickly downhill. So uh, he, as uh, kings uh, performed, was miyashiv in his mind, this terrace that look, I'm uh, even extending a friendly hand and I'm adding cities and Omri was given the schus of many deris, including Achav, because he added cities to Yisrael. That medrash, one of the many medrashim misquoted from Malachim, which is why you have to learn it very carefully, because it's misquoted today. Now look, as long as we're fighting and we're adding territory and uh, we're defending the territory, everything else is okay. Well, it's not okay. The medrash says that 
So if you do something for a Yisrael, you will get schar. And then, unfortunately, in these cases, they promptly went to Gehenim. That's the part that's forgotten, including the Achtus. Time of Achav, tremendous Achtus. And that helped them from a security vantage point that they went to battle, they didn't lose men. And then they went to Gehenim. That, that's not a happy ending. I, I was going to, you know, I was thinking whether to mention that, but that, that's, they look at Tanakh and they never came to the Shir. It's painfully obvious. How can you name your kid Omri? That's like naming your kid Yeravim, which they did over here. Uh, that was at the end, yeah. He gave it and he took it away, but because the same reason he gave it, uh, he took it away. Uh, it's, uh, he, was a, he was a proud Jew, but the, to be a proud Jew is a start. You've got to be a proud Jew of Judaism. You can't make up a, you know, that you're a proud Jew of some new nationalistic secular. It has to be tied. I'm not saying he was the worst. And I'm, I'm not even saying Yeravim was the worst. I'm saying he wasn't. But at the end of the day, Hashem, because of these chusim, will give you another chance, another chance, another chance. And we hope we have many more chances. We hope, per my comment before, that we're living in such a time where we have this tremendous shefa. We hope we're capitalizing on it. We have to work harder, and we hope we're doing it. And in many ways, we are. But you can't rest in your laurels and say, uh, thank you very much, Akash Baruch Hu. Tonight's a barbecue. That's not what it's for. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a barbecue here and there. But that's not where most of the uh, focus of the uh, newfound treasures should be spent. Of course they weren't. And he wasn't, I'm not saying he was the worst of them. They were worse, they were better. And they have Rabbanim now. Of course they do. Of course they do. And everybody points out, he went once, and he went here, and he went in New York. Okay, so he's not the worst of them, and, and at some level, neither Kosh Baruch so did Yeravim. Right. No, but uh, that's, the, that's the problem. The problem is, is that uh, we live in a tremendous, tremendous, uh, we're witness to Nisim Neflos and Shef and Bracha. But that's all based on the plus we're going to go back to now, and that is Kira Hashem as Ani Yisrael. Hashem sees our low level, and Hashem sees we need help. And uh, we're yet going to talk about, we started Shabbos HaGadol, I will tell you at the time we started talking about the Six Day War, which we're going to continue, um, I didn't necessarily do it because it's the 50th anniversary, but it is, which bears uh, on some level at least an introspection on where we're going and uh, what it meant and why was it, why was it there. And a lot of it is because, Rabbi Yaakov is going to point this out right now, it's, uh, it's jarring that here we're reading Malachim Beis, and you couldn't make this stuff up in terms of the uh, political and contemporary context of Klai Yisrael. It's like the Pesukim are written then. That's, what, that's the godless of Navi. Is that it speaks to us in every dar. Some daris, we mamers live through it. Here the Pesuk says, we're having Yeshuas and the Hamas under the jurisdictions of people who are not very from. And that's an understatement. And the Pesuk comments right away, the reason for this is because Klai Yisrael can't disappear and HaKosh Baruch Hu wants to wake us up and give us more of a carrot to be able to do that. And there are a number of angles. The first one we'll see is the Emesli Yaakov here on Navi, in front of you, on the right side. Ki ra Hashem es ani Yisrael, mara ma'oid, efes atzer ve'efes azul ve'ein ezul Yisrael, ladibra Hashem limchus Hashem Yisrael metachs ha'shamayim. Number one, they were oppressed, and number two, it was so bad that they were under threat of disappearing, being totally destroyed. And since Hashem promised that's not going to happen, even though it will happen to the Aserah Shvatim, 
But as says, Shratan is a big chunk, and Hashem didn't want to lose that big chunk either. And you'll say, well, if it's only the Aser Shratan, so why is that an existential threat to Klai The answer is, Yehuda wasn't doing much better. Rileydover is that Yerovim felt he had to give some cities back to Yehuda just to prop them up. So it wasn't just the Aser Shratan, it was all Klai here. It was really under threat. Rabbi Yaakov says, Shnei psukim elu heim kemin hisnatzlus shall say from Elohim. And this isn't only my connection to the contemporary scene. The two psukim here are hisnatzlus means, like the Pesach is almost apologizing. Why did Klai Yisrael deserve this and why did this happen? Like it doesn't fit. It says, yes, harab and Hashem, and he's doing the wrong thing, and Klai Yisrael is doing the wrong thing, and Hashem uh, gives them the biggest territorial gain and more victories than they ever had. Where's the justice? Why is Yeravim succeeding over here? We mentioned the old, uh, the old bad uh, story about the, uh, the uh, clergy person who wasn't very from, who was golfing on Yom Kippur. We mentioned that a few weeks ago. So the Malachim is screaming, yelling the same thing. How can he get a hole in one? On Yom Kippur? The golf cart should have self-destructed. So, you know, Hashem answered, who can he tell? The answer is, Amat Hashem, that joke comes from this, uh, all the old good Jewish jokes come from uh, Maseira. Is that, I'm not doing this for him. Paquette over there, uh, for Russia gets paid back, it's not a good thing. So Hashem is reminding them, that he's not going to have total hanah from this. It's not for him. Sometimes Hashem does this for Klaiso, and he happens to be the leader, and it's a potential schus. But at the end of the day, he takes it to the grave and doesn't do anything, which is how the parrot just ended. That's not going to help much. So Abiyankov says, <laughs> We just said that he was a bad guy. And there are two reasons why Klaiso deserves this at this time. Echad ki Hashem First one is, Klai Yisrael was suffering terribly, and Hashem and Midas HaRachimim wanted to help them. The time for the Gula in Mitzrayim was not there yet. Klai Yisrael was suffering so that Kosh Baruch and Midas HaRachimim is going to take them out early. Is Hashem going to make up the time? Either to make the last uh, decades of the Gullahs so bad that in quality they made up the time for the quantity? Or that the future Goliaths are going to make up the time of the years they should have served over there. But whatever it was, a Kosh Baruch who felt he's going to take them out early because it was so bad. What triggered it? Mitzrayim, they davened. They davened out of pain. They were also Shaku, Memte Shaytuma, but daven they did. They were Memte Shaytuma. We discussed this recently. They didn't go up, meaning they didn't go backwards and go to Memches. And the Memzayin, it didn't get better. And the davening wasn't out of tshuva, it was out of desperation, which is still something. On some level, they knew Hashem could help, and they screamed out. Perhaps not the best, but it works. It's a lower level. So it worked in Mitzrayim, 
And it works over here as well, even though the Pasuk doesn't say Beferish, they were davening, but they were certainly screaming out because that's the natural thing to do of Maminim at some level. And as we just mentioned, these Yidin did go to Shachris, many of them, before they went to the temple. Vishnayim, number two. Ladibra Hashem Limchas Hashem Yisrael Metachas Hashemayim. This Chosovus over here, and there's a promise. The promise was Klai Yisrael will always exist. So even if they didn't scream out, or coupled with the fact that they screamed out, they deserve to be saved. Kamei Shahaya Begamar Hashaya. Rabbi Yaakov fast forwards to 1945. And he says, just like at the end of the Holocaust, where Klai Yisrael was almost completely obliterated. Don't forget, there were 6 million, and there were more than 6 million Jews, Baruch Hashem. But the sense of Yish and depression, and the fact that in America most of them were not from, and the ones that came that were from were, had no resources, and the winds of assimilation were extremely strong, and uh, many were dropping the throne in the harbor. They were doing that before, but after World War II, it was very depressing. This Next line, the Satmar Rav will disagree with. Rabbi Yankov says it, and many agree with Rabbi Yankov. And he said that, uh, yes, the Medina was started by people who are not religious, sometimes they're anti-religious, often anti-religious. Allah Deverhu knew Yerav Menavot was almost in the same position. And why? The Pasuk here is screaming, why? After we say Yerav is a bad guy, it says Hashem heard their tefillahs, and didn't want them to be destroyed. He's learning when the Pasuk says Hashem saw their terrible state, it's because they davened also. Even the Pasuk doesn't say that beferish, but it's a very mistaper. Given a place to go. Top line. The Nazis during the war, besides uh, the butchering and the torture, they also didn't miss an opportunity to rub it in. They made fun of them. Where's your God? Where's the Jewish God? How does he allow this to happen? And uh, it's a hard thing to hear that Sadiqim had a Muna throughout. Uh, the average person going through it, there was a difficult Nisayan. And, and during and after, they didn't know what would be. Most people, certainly the loss of Amuna or had certainly damage to it. And their desire to be Jewish was really not there. Many of them um, went to wherever they can go and just dropped everything and uh, didn't even give their kids uh, a bris. We saw from the Shabbos shir at Misa with the, with the get, a couple that went to South America and just uh, didn't involve themselves in anything Jewish because they were just too scared. They didn't want to know from it. It's hard to judge anybody. They sat my rov, speaking of which, he used to tell people when they asked him for a bracha, he said, you don't need a bracha from me, go to any shul at six in the morning and when they're about to put on tefillin, he rolls up his sleeve. If you see numbers in his arm and he's putting on tefillin, you can ask him for a bracha. He's already at Sadiq Zerela. That's how bad it was. That's how depressing it was. All the hashkafon, if you have the 20-20 hindsight of history and you're 50, 60 years later, you can explain, even Rabbi Yankov, as, he's, as he was saying this, it was decades later. With the... Uh, ability to uh, look from above and look at history, you can explain what happened and what Akash Baruch was doing. Rabbi Victor Miller's book, which you uh, wrote and put out and transcribed, that book can only, you can only dare to put that out. I think you even mentioned in your Akdama, you can only dare to put that out decades after the Holocaust. Even that is dangerous. Um, job well done, but dangerous, because there are always going to be people who don't understand it. What's the name of that book? Just once I'm mentioning it. 
No, no, the one on the Holocaust. Divine, divine menace. You had a hand in that? No, you didn't. Okay. Okay, that one you didn't. But somebody, somebody wrote it, and if you read it, if you read it in your from and you're cautioned beforehand to read carefully and don't react till you get to the end, you will um, understand it perhaps. If you're not, yeah, oh, it's actual writing. Okay, that's good uh, because uh, I mean the transcribing from the tape is actual speaking, but. That book can't be put out in 1946, and that's why he didn't. He can't even put out in 1952. Waited decades and decades. And even then, it's going to be misquoted and misunderstood. But the Navi tells us all about this to tell you what the opportunity was and what the reasons for an Einish are and what the opportunities are when there's a chizik. And Yankiv is saying here, and it's written recently, but from the recordings, that we were given this uh, carrot because uh, it was so depressing and so bad they couldn't survive otherwise. Because he feels, you know, Satmarova disagreed with this point, but he feels that the rest of the Jews in America would totally assimilate if they had nothing Jewish to hang on to. Satmarov would claim that uh, this destroyed more. Shailas, are we ahead or behind? Satmarov uh, claimed that because they introduced another form of Judaism, secular Zionism, that gave the Jews who were not from the ability to hang their hat on something that wasn't very Jewish. That's true. That angle is true also. The question is, are we ahead or not? Rabbi Yankiv held that without that, they wouldn't have any attachment. And we know that the awakening of many of the Jews here in America who were totally assimilated came because of Eretz Yisrael and their attachment to Eretz Yisrael. And then after the Six-Day War, the Chuva movement, again, was the Chuva movement the result of the Six-Day War, the hippie movement. It was a... Many things came together to produce what became the Baal Tshuva movement. The question is, uh, are we ahead or behind because of what Rabbi Yaakov is talking about? Rabbi Yaakov held that this was, ne- this was necessary, despite all the drawbacks. Kamei Kain, so too, in the Navi, Hashem Biyad Yeravam, even though he was very not from. V'oid, not only that, not only were they saved, not only did they survive, Oid Nisrach Mamlachtoi. He expanded the boundaries, Av Shabbat Sem He wasn't worthy of this, and neither were they. Kosh will give them this in order to show them what could be if they try to turn things around in their personal avodah. So this is awesome. The fact that uh, you can see this in the Pesach and then Rabbi Yaakov and many agreed with this. Some disagreed with the extent of this, but the fact that he can even show you that this has repeated itself in history and more so in our particular time. Let's go to the Pelayites for a few minutes. We started a couple of minutes late. Okay, one interruption. Yes. They should know the Kahal, who was from Yaakov Kamenesky. Yeah. Tatsav. When we had a parlor meeting in the hot home in Lutzi, the cook was there. He says, Have of Yaakov, please come to this I remember picking him up. And he came, and, my, and your mother said, yeah. she never saw anything like that. Because only don't speak to women. But after the colony, he went up to each one. He went to my wife, her mother, everything. He went, right, the, the, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I remember that. I was, a, I was a young boy. He actually took a detour out of the dining room and asked where the kitchen was. I, I wonder why he wanted to go into the kitchen. We serve food. And he walked into the kitchen, Dafka to thank the women for setting up, and then he walked out, which was an interesting uh, detour. It wasn't on the way out, which was interesting. Take a look. It's an interesting piece of history. Why? I saw a He did the same thing. Okay. So there, so we have uh, probably learned it from the same place. But it was interesting because the kitchen's on the way out, the mela. But it was, it's, it's, often, it's often toward the back, right? Specifically, I asked him to take the, the woman. Okay. 
So the same, the same as Sarah. Yep. Okay, go to page your test. We started Avas Rayim yesterday, very apropos for Sira, which is one of the important uh, things to work on. After the Be'ach Rabbi Kiva, we spoke about yesterday, um, gave us two things to think about during Sphira. One is his Bitachan and Amuna, and is dealing with the tragedy of losing 24,000 Talmidim and Bar and the opportunity for the Gula. Page your test in the first part. Uh, keep in mind, not for now, because it would take too long to go through again, Rabbi Kiva supported Bar-Kachva. And he held that, we know this from Chazal, he held that he could have been the Mashiach. People misread the Rambam, misquote the Rambam, that he was mistaken and Bar-Kachva wasn't the Mashiach. Not what the Rambam says, and historically it's not true. Bar-Kachva could have been the Mashiach. The fact that he went off a derech means he wasn't Zeich and we weren't Zeich. That was a tragedy, and Rabbi Kiva uh, was suffering as everybody else from the lost opportunity, but it doesn't mean the original Havamina was incorrect. And he, in order to be the Mashiach, you have to have some level of support at some point in order to go weiter. And then when he started going off and the Gaiva went to his head and the power went to his head and Rabbi Kiva saw at a certain point and he withdrew support. That's when he, probably where he left Beitar. But that doesn't mean he was wrong. It was still what for most people would be a crushing defeat. And Rabbi Kiva picked himself up, made new Talmidim and continued with, uh, not only continued, but emphasized at that point because that's part of the disaster of what was lost with the 24,000 Hamidim. Even though their Avas Yisrael was way above what we can imagine, but on their Madrega something was missing. We explained yesterday why Rabbi Kiva picked the Lushan, which is the top line is going to continue with, the Allah Sani Lachavich Lasabid, which you don't like, don't do to your friend, which is almost like a watered-down version of Avtadech Kamecha, as we explained yesterday, Rabbi Kiva felt for the Madrega that they were on then, certainly for our Madrega, if you could just get across the point, think about what you want and how you want to be treated and treat your friends the same way. That's already a Maila. Per the Ramban's Kasha, Avtadech Kamecha can't mean Kamecha because it's not humanly possible for most people to love somebody else as much as yourself. And Apialacha, you go first if you have one canteen of water. And that's why the Ramban says guzma. It doesn't mean kamecha, it means treat him as you would want to be treated. And that's what he continues with. Bediber da'alach. It's the first, uh, he's going to talk about Diber and Maisen, how to treat your friends. Bediber da'alach, sani l'chavroch l'savid. With you hate, don't do to your friends. Masha sanu alacha al-tase l'chaverecha. Tzarech li'zar li'shamer miladaber el-chavero al-al-chavero shum diber she'ena reitza she'edaber loy. Teenagers, uh, boys will be boys, teenagers will be teenagers. Boys are worse at this than girls. But if you remember way back to your teenage years, preteen years, so we try to tell this to our kids and they come home upset. Boys will be boys and kids will be kids and children will be children, but adults often, if they don't work on themselves, are the same. And that is, they say things sometimes that aren't so nice and they, uh, and they tell their friends, yeah, I was only kidding, can't you take a joke? What's the matter with you? And the Gemara says, Machan Hashem Chaver is in big trouble. Mavayi somebody Barabim is also in big trouble. The point over here is that yeah, you could think it's a joke and it sounds cute and why don't you laugh along and even if he's laughing he might not be too happy but you laugh along because he can't look like a nerd. But really deep down they're upset. So what you have to do is stop and think is okay it might not be the worst thing in the world but would you like to be called this or would you like to be spoken to like this would you like to be treated like this? And if the answer is not a very enthusiastic yes maybe you shouldn't be doing it to your friends. We have to get that message across to our children 
uh, because children do this all the time. That's what the school politics, schoolyard politics. But often if they're not taught this cloud, they grow up to be adults and they do the same thing in the office or in shul. So it's not a question of how biting the comment is. The question is, if it wasn't nice and you wouldn't like to hear it, then why are you saying it to your friend or your acquaintance? Something you wouldn't like said to your face or about you. So besides the Deber, you certainly have to stay away from the Maisel. We didn't get to it yet, but we're going to hopefully discuss next Shabbos before we start the next Sugya on business practices that are but worse than that, if you don't get why this unfair competition is not right, perhaps you should just put yourself in his shoes and not do it because it's not pleasant. Um, the case in point, the Shaila I just received recently, which is a very common Shaila, how aggressive can you be in stealing employees? Like, you know, headhunters sometimes call straight into the company, pull them a headhunter is a is a, is a business which can be done in a, in a proper way, but it's certainly very dangerous. Just go in and uh, so you say, did I violate anything? Well, f- first thing you got to figure out is, you just did something, would you like that if he did that and walked into your company and stole your secretary or middle management or upper management? So even if, before you examine the Chaysha Mishpat, Asur Mutter, Da'alach Sani L'chavir L'savid, would you like it? He's, yeah, well, he did it to me, I'm doing it to him. Okay, that's not common. If you never did it, would you like it? Is this proper? Is this, do you think this is something that should be done between people? So, Lahamid Bazan, you have to really examine internally, honestly, because the Yitzhahar can trick you into thinking that, yeah, it's not so bad, and everybody does it. And certainly in business, when it comes to money, people are very forgiving of themselves and their actions. To go after the opportunity for profit, even though at the end of the day they're not making real profit. Because she does never prosper. As we discussed the week before. And people do funny things when it comes to their perceived bottom line. And we say this every morning. You not only have to be willing to be an effort for You have to be willing to give up money. You're not giving anything up because it's not yours anyway. But if you're willing to give up what you think is an opportunity. To do the right thing, instead of going after bribery and listening to Yitzhahar in these circumstances is a form of bribery. Mitzvah Shem will continue on Shabbos next week.